Pierre, how you doing, buddy? Great. Going to Dallas <laughs> yeah. this weekend. Life is good. How did last weekend go for the Dallas fans? <laughs> uh, it's good to get that out of the way. That's a wake up. Uh, what an funny. optimistic view. What a sports fan's view. It's good that we lost. It's going to help us in the end. We are back. Season two, got your back. NHL edition, LeBron and Rashog and Johnny. Yes, Mike Johnson returning once again to the podcast. Looking forward to another season of great hockey discussions. We got a fantastic opening episode for you. How about Taylor Hall out in Chicago riding shotgun next to Connor Bedard? What are his early impressions of the young guy at camp? What's he expecting this year? And by the way, Taylor Hall with one of our favorite Got Your Back stories ever. <laughs> Two brothers getting into a fist fight. One of them standing up for Taylor Hall. You'll have to stick around and hear that interview to find out who it was. Got Your Back NHL Edition brought to you by our proud title sponsors, Kuma Outdoor Gear. They have a wide range of gear to fit all your outdoor needs from tents and sleeping bags, travel games, pet products and drinkware. And boy, they love their new switchback heated chair. I now own three of them. Yes, we have three switchback heated chairs. They were a, a fixture out at Cold Lake this year. You can preheat it. You can control it with Bluetooth. It's tailgating season. You got to get yourself a Kuma switchback chair. Maybe we'll have to get one for Pierre for the big trip he's got coming up. Go to KumaOutdoorGear.com to find a retailer near you and check out all they have to offer Kuma Outdoor Gear Experience Luxury Outdoors. The boys are back. How are we doing, fellas? Johnny, you're looking refreshed and ready to go after a summer at the cottage. You're tanned up. You're looking like you've been taking care of yourself. Welcome <laughs> back, friend. Thank you very much, Shoggy. It's good to be back. And it was a really good summer. It's the first summer in a few that I've had time off and, and no kind of weird scheduling quirks. And I did live at the cottage. I saw Pierre a lot. And he, we play golf together and it was, it was great. I'm, I like, I guess I feel right now, like you're supposed to feel after a summer, kind of refreshed, kind of ready to go. Whoa, 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 whoa. You guys, I, I, I you guys say, hang out I, together? I, you guys yes, do stuff and hang out? When, when, when MJ says we play golf together, let's just be clear that MJ played golf and I played a version of the sport that allows me to, to no. get a white ball. Through 18 holes. <laughs> but it was good. It was fantastic. I don't know how I feel about you guys spending off-season time together and just hanging out and stuff. Like it's like a got your back summit and Zuby and I aren't invited. Well, well, gotta fly out east. You're invited well, anytime. There's plenty of room at either place for both you and your whole crew. Exactly. Exactly. Pierre, what did you what did you most enjoy from your off-season this year? Like, did you do anything special, anything fun, or was it literally just sitting around out at the cottage enjoying? Yeah, we always do a trip uh, out to PEI. Uh, um, I'm married into a family with PEI ties, and uh, we look forward to that every year. Been doing that for 24 years now, so that was that was a neat part of it for sure. But yeah, mostly just relaxing at the lake, playing golf, and trying to forget the stress of our jobs. Uh, but then again, we have awesome jobs, and it's good to be back. Hmm. MJ, how about you, buddy? What was tops of you your list? I, I don't go anywhere, Shoggy. Like, I don't want to travel. I travel too much uh, during the season. So no. I just parked it 
Um, you know, what was the best part though, was my oldest daughter is at university and she was doing an internship at an accounting firm. And you'd think, well, she has to be in the city and she was able to basically do it remotely. So I had the whole crew at the cottage all summer long, which was nice as the kids are getting a little bit older. They were all there the whole time, which was, was good. Nice for me. Oh, that's awesome. I had the first one move out this son. That was a tough one for me. My son, Noah got yes. a job. He's a, he's a reporter in uh, Saskatoon at CTV out there. So we, we no moved way. him out there for the first time. He's got his own place. He's living on his own. He's on his broadcast journey, but I can't believe it, man. Like that, that is a kick in the pills when the kids start moving out. Pierre, you're like, you're a ways away from that yet, bud. But Johnny, oh, yeah, like just off. Well, they, they apparently they keep coming back. I mean, my daughter's in second year university, <laughs> but apparently they always come back. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, that's uh, that's good for Noah. He's following in dad's footsteps. Big shoes to fill. But he can do yeah. it. He's yeah. a news hound, that kid, though. He he I mean, he can do sports, but he loves his news stuff. He's a he's a journalist yeah. at heart. So pretty cool to see him on his way. Man, is it hard when they start leaving? But uh, we got five of them, so I guess we we gotta get used to it, feeling <laughs> feeling that pain. By the time the last couple leave, it'll be like, ah, we've been there, we've done that. Yeah. I'm kidding. Uh, okay, guys, let's get to some hockey talk. Let's get to the breakdown. Looking forward to it this year. Uh, lots of stuff, Pierre. I noticed earlier you were already your nose down in your phone while we're taping the podcast, so you're right back into this thing. You're digging, you're grinding. I saw Insider Trader trading fully up and running on TSN here this last week and a little bit. No place uh, as far as insider topics to start other than the unsigned uh, RFAs. These are some big names, man. Anaheim. Trevor Zegris, Jamie Drysdale, two critical pieces of their organization. We'll get to Shane Pinto as well. But Pierre, maybe just a thought of where it sits with Zegris and Drysdale and with their general manager, is there a, a different strategy here at play by this guy that has this sitting where it is? Yeah, Ryan. So as of Tuesday, which is yesterday, as we taped this here on Wednesday, um, you know, things were still not close on either front and, I think it's fair to say that, that, you know, they've been difficult negotiations. Uh, Pat Verbeek, Ducks GM, really this is his first crack at this kind of uh, situation with two incredibly important players. I mean, building this team around two of these guys as part of, of several young players. And, um, you know, on the Zegra side of things, um, you know, I think both sides are ready to do a bridge deal, like three years but they've been far apart on AAV. Um, and so again, that can obviously change literally within a couple of days here, potentially, but it's fair to say that in both cases, uh, these have been difficult negotiations and you've got a, you know, a first time GM probably trying to put his imprint on how things are going to go. A guy that spent a lot of time in Tampa Bay and Pat Verbeek and saw how Steve Eisenman and Julian Breesboy negotiated. Um, and obviously you've got, uh, you know, uh, certainly in Zegers' case, a power agent in Pat Brisson, and in uh, Drysdale's case, uh, Dave Gongi, former NHL player, um, you know, from Wasserman, trying to get what he feels is fear, uh, fair for, um, for his client. It's fascinating because in some senses, like we know that they are the Anaheim, this is the future, but Anaheim's future is not now. Like Verbeek has the ability mm. to kind of be firm here because it's not like, not like Ottawa, which we'll get to, where like, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're not trying to, you know, they're trying to be better, but they're not trying to win a Stanley Cup this year. So he has the luxury of saying, you know what? I can I can play hardball here because I don't have to get them into camp. And if they have a sh- tough start, well, 
you know what? That's that's we'll take that if it gets the a good deal and a precedent established. Don't mess with Bat Verbeek in tough negotiations. Zegris is is interesting, but it feels like a three year deal. He's gonna get whatever five, five and a half, something like that would be fair for him. Drysdale to me is fascinating because he's barely played, right? I mean, he missed the Eight whole year games. last year virtually with a shoulder. And so, uh, you know, he sees other young defenders. He sees Jake Sanderson, but he hasn't done what those guys have done. I think he can. He just hasn't. It's a tricky one to value. You almost, I'm surprised they're as stuck as they appear to be on Drysdale just because he, he has no body of work. So I, I'm not sure what he's, what he's looking for. Yeah. Go ahead, Pierre. Well, I was just going to say, and of course, the risk in all this, because you totally, I get what Pat Verbeek's trying to do as far as, as planting his flag and for future negotiations with this team. And again, understand his past with, with Eisman and Marisbois. But I always fear, and, and this used to happen, for example, I think in Columbus, it doesn't happen as much anymore. But, you know, the, the, the Blue Jackets had developed a reputation to, to, some pretty tough negotiations coming out of venture level in some cases. And I always fear for, you know, that does it plant a seed with the player that, okay, I'll sign this, but I'll remember this. And, and, you know, is that mm-hmm. overblown business is business? We all get that, but boy, I'd be careful to make sure, especially in the case of Zegris, that this is a guy you're going to need around for a long time. Johnny, what do you think of that? Do you remember that stuff come the next negotiation? Sure you do. But let's say they'd been really accommodating. Guess what? I also am going to try to get every cent I can the next time. Like it doesn't, you know, I I don't know. Like every negotiation you go into, Shaggy, you know this about me. I'm going to try to get every penny I can. I'm not going to try to be nice to anyone because they were nice to me before. And if they were hard on me before. Season two's pro bono. I told you that, right? (laughs) Sorry, my connection (laughs) cut out there. I couldn't hear you. Yeah. Um, Johnny's gone. (laughs) Yeah. Drop the call. So, yeah, I get what Pierre is saying. I think sometimes for markets is like, if they're so hard and they can never get what they think they deserve, then yeah, in in eight years, they might look to go elsewhere. But Anaheim's not. Anaheim's Anaheim. If Anaheim's a good team, that is a glorious place to live and play. So they have that going for them, a little bit different than Columbus. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. If I was a GM, I'd be like, I'm going to try to get the best deal I can every time. And if they're happy, that's great. If I'm happy, that's great. But that's my that's my goal every time I do a contract. I mean, potential number one center, right? Like that's that's where he sits there. Jamie Drysdale, uh, designs on him. You know, definitely a top four defenseman and, and on his way to being a top pairing defenseman. So uh, a couple of pretty critical pieces of that organization and some early snags here on the negotiating front. Shane Pinto in Ottawa yeah. here, 20 goals he had last season. Big part of what they're supposed to have going on there. Uh, what's your sense on it? Well, I was going to say this applies to Pinto just as it does to Zegers and Drysdale as a final point there. But the season doesn't start till October 10th. And I think we get tricked by the calendar. Like for me, I feel like we're already a month in <laughs> back to work. And it's like, why aren't these guys signed? And and the NHL season is a week later than than what it used to be. Don't get me going on that. Uh, the last possible Stanley Cup date is June 24th for this season. Um, so there is time for for all this to get figured out and, and for these guys to get signed. But on Pinto, that's that's a simpler diagnosis. Um you know, he he has indicated through his agent, Louis Gross, that he's not signing his QO, which is $975,000. You get why he scored 20 goals last year. But the Senators, after signing Tarasenko, have almost no cap room 
for this year. Which, by the way, as a side conversation, the Senators are at the cap. It's been a long time mm-hmm. since uh, Sens fans have had that. Uh, but in the meantime, what it means is that Pierre Dorian, the GM, has to move money. He knows that. He's been trying. Uh, the name of Matthew Joseph has been percolating. We'll see how he gets it done and when. Uh, but but also, you know, there still remains a, a conversations to be had on the Pinto contract. And it's not like they've written down a number, as far as I can tell. They still have to get there. I, I speculated on insider trading that maybe two and a half million a year on a two-year deal will get it done. But maybe that's too high for Ottawa. I'm not sure. If I'm Pinto, I'm not happy. I, I see everyone else in the team getting signed and everyone getting term and big bucks, big bucks. And I'm like, wait a second, you didn't leave $2 million for me? I'm not asking for six, two shoggy. Like that's, that's like, yeah. that's like, like the lowest contract for someone who's not on an entry, like a, a league minimum. And Ottawa is different than Anaheim. Ottawa can't afford a slow start. If they have one, the coach might be gone. The GM might be gone. Like their playoff chances, like the last four years might be gone. And with Josh Norris already having, unfortunately, a tweak in his shoulder again, which is you know scary for him, but bad news for Ottawa. They need Pinto as insurance down the middle. It's supposed to be Stutzla and then Norris and Pinto. Norris is a question mm-hmm. mark. Pinto's not there. You don't want Clojure to slide in there. You don't like they don't have options for a team that want that has doesn't want to has to take a stride. If I'm Pinto, I'm like I'm not asking for eight million. To, to carve out another million dollars in your budget so I can sign, like that's, I, I, I would be very firm and very disappointed in the organization because they chose Tarasenko. They chose to bring in Cuba Leak. They chose to not ask Chicago to eat some of Cuba. Like there were other ways to get a million bucks for me, another million dollars to kind of be able to sign me. And they, they didn't do it. And I would be dug in. I would be dug in because they need him badly. Yeah, and, and the whole summer you're sitting there watching decisions get made. Like, you know, general manager can't just say, ah, oh, we ran out of money, salary cap. Agents wanted every detail that happened along the way matters. They knew this whole time mm-hmm. that this was going to have to get done. And so for sure there'd be a level of frustration there. Remember when the orders just gave Hall, Eberle, and Nuge all $6 million at entry level, just one standard, <laughs> one standard post-entry level contract they just gave to everybody? Yeah. Those are the good old days. Everyone, you get six by six, you get six by six, you get six. By... I've only got five by six, but <laughs> yeah, six by... I'm like, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, those are the days where the, Ottawa, uh, but those ahead, are also Pierre. the days where the salary cap was going up by four or five million guaranteed yeah. every year. Boy, does that feel like a long time ago? Yeah. Boy, does it ever. Well, While we're on Ottawa, yes. uh, Craig Button made a little noise the other day, uh, lavishing some praise onto uh, onto the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Johnny. Uh, Guys, give me a sense. Where do you think the Ottawa Senators are this season? Talk about them being at the cap. Um, expectations heading into last season were elevated. Johnny, what are expectations for the Senators this year? What's real? What's real is it's playoffs or it's a disappointment. It's mm. playoff or they've come up short. Now, they're not guaranteed to make the playoffs. The Atlantic's tough. The, the East is tough. They should be good enough now with their roster to challenge for a playoff spot. They've answered the goaltender question. They have good defense depth. Jake Sanderson's a really good player. They have a ton of offensive forwards. Like, you know, Kubalik and Pinto, 220-goal scorers on their third line. If yeah. Pinto, Whenever Pinto gets there. And so they need a good start, good health, good goaltending. If they get those three things, they should have a chance to make it. But what I want to see, Shoggy, and this is where I'm, you know, I'm hesitant to pen them in the playoffs, is that they've not been a good defensive team not the defensemen, but the team 
hasn't been good defensively right. for, for years. And they have a lot of the same players who are were young, now maybe more mature, who haven't yet fully embraced being great defensively. Will they do that this year? I hope so. I know they can. I think DJ could teach them, but they got to do it. I got to see it because I've seen it for years where the same group has not really played that well defensively and they're not good enough because nobody's good enough to be bad defensively and make the playoffs. That's my concern. If they do that, yeah, I think they make it. If they don't, then they're gonna their talent will get them to 88 points, but that might not be enough. Yeah, there definitely has to be more discipline in their game. Um, it, you know, I, I think of one player here, Jacob Trickren. Sometimes you trade for a player, but it's not until the next season after he's had the full camp and the and getting to start the year with his team where you truly see his impact. And I got a feeling that'll be the case here with Jacob Trickren. Um, the other thing is the biggest wild card for me, and it's hardly this is hardly inside hockey here, but Jonas Corpusalo has shown different sides of himself throughout his career. He's been mm -hmm. really good. And I thought yeah. he was really good in LA last year. He's also been really bad at times in Columbus. And that's a big commitment to him. And, and I get it. Every team we've had this conversation on his podcast last year at a bunch of times, you know, the unknown of the goalie position right now in hockey is, is almost hilarious. I mean, there are so many gambles being had and, and this is one of them, but it can't be, uh, it, this can't go sideways. It went sideways with Cam Talbot a year ago. And um, and I'm not putting everything on Talbot, by the way. Again, we talked about the defensive play in front of him. But this has to be right with Corpus Allo, uh, because that's a big deal here in terms of whether they get in or not, in my mind. With the Ottawa Senator. Yeah, go ahead, Johnny. Just real quick. Two years ago in Columbus, when he really struggled, his hips were messed up. And he was playing through right. it, didn't talk about it, didn't complain about it, didn't use it as a crutch. Mm -hmm. Got them fixed last year. Was way better. So maybe the Sens are hoping that some of that poor form in Columbus towards the end of his career there was health-related, and that's been answered. Yeah, a healthy Corpusalo and a healthy Chikrin would go a long way uh, if those guys can Josh maintain that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, we'll, we'll stay with Ottawa here a little bit in DJ Smith, Pierre. He was part of an article you wrote for The Athletic about coaches on expiring contracts. You, you did your annual uh, Who's Up? coach's article in The Athletic. He's one of several. Uh, with new ownership taking over, some decisions are going to need to be made here. Maybe using DJ Smith as a jumping off point. Uh, give us a sense on these coaches. Well, you have to start with what you heard from Michael Anlauer after he officially finally took over his owner last week. And what I heard from his comments was that he was not going to make any rash decisions. So I think if you're DJ Smith, you're happy to hear that. It gives you probably this season to prove yourself to the new owner. But, of course, this is not a coaching decision alone. I mean, Michael Anlauer is looking at the entire hockey operations, right, in his first few months as owner. And so the future of Pierre Dorian, you know, does, does Anlauer's old buddy Steve Stales come in and run the organization? There's all these different things that, that are happening that actually have, probably have to be decided before you decide on the coach. So for now, I would say status quo with DJ Smith, but he is up at the end of this year. There are three other guys uh, on that list. Uh, one is Todd McClellan in L.A., who is already, I'm told, in negotiations with Kings management. I think there'll be an extension there at some point. Um, and how could there not be after the ascent of the Kings here? Um, the other one um, is Rob Brindamore, who <laughs> arguably could be the best coach in the NHL. I know other front offices would love it if he somehow hit the market next summer. He came two weeks away from hitting the market two years ago before resigning. And, you know, 
Brendan Moore is his own worst enemy because he has said he doesn't really want to coach anywhere else. So that's why he only makes about $2 million a year, which is an unbelievable bargain when a lot of other coaches are making anywhere from three to $5 million a year. But there have not been extension talks on Brendan Moore yet. Uh, owner Tom Dundon in a text message to me said, we are going to get that done. And so who knows when that is, but he's up at the end of the year. Um, and the other one is Lindy Ruff, which is interesting because everyone, including me, was under your assumption his deal was actually up at the end of last season. But then what the Devils did, and I think it surprised a lot of people, is they picked up a club option on Lindy Ruff. Um, but when they did it, they immediately informed Lindy Ruff that they want to extend him to a multi-year deal. They were just doing that to kind of protect themselves. And so Tom Fitzgerald this week, uh, the GM of the Devils, reiterated to me that they are in the midst right now of negotiating with Lindy Ruff on an extension. But it's interesting that it hasn't gotten done yet because I think they've been talking all summer about it. So so those are the four to keep an eye on. Hmm. Interesting list. Now, what's in, like it's 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 fascinating. Some pretty good coaches of pretty good teams that maybe if it didn't work out, if they didn't win a Stanley Cup or go deep, then you might want to make a change in L.A. or in Jersey or in Carolina. I don't know about that. New ownership makes a lot of sense in Ottawa. But what I find funny is that as a player – we would never know this unless Pierre Lebrun told us. Like, I don't know what the coach's contract looks like. I don't care what the yeah. coach's contract. Like, if he has a five-year deal, it makes no difference to me. I'm not going to listen to him more or less. If he has a one-year deal, I'm not going to listen to him more or less. I'm going to be who I'm going to be regardless of the contractual status. The idea that this lame duck coach will not be listened to, I don't buy it one second. But um, I'll tell you this. Really, John. Yeah, really. really. So if you're a if you're a top end player on your team and maybe sure. you're button heads with your coach and he's on the last year of his deal and you're getting a little frustrated with him would never even enter into your mind. I'm going to call BS. A hundred percent would never like what am I not going to back check? Ah, he's in his last year. He'll be gone. Whatever. I'm not going to do the system. A hundred percent shoggy. You got. And if that's what your top player is doing, you got the wrong top player. That's a problem. Fair. 100%. No, that never, ever. Now, like maybe when I went home after the rink and he were, we're button heads, I'd be like, he'll be gone before I am. Like that might go through your head, but sure. never in the sense of execution or being a good teammate or doing what you're supposed to do. Never, right. never, not at all. Not at all. I, and, and to your point, MJ, uh, I appreciate the shout out there, but I, I've for years been fascinated by coach's contract and it's why I probably spend way too much time on it uh, because it it is a bit <laughs> of a secret project. world. Yeah. It's a secret world. Teams don't even announce now how many years coaches sign for. Uh, salaries are never disclosed. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, the Leafs extended Sheldon Keefe, and 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 we reported on it. And then the Leafs finally said, "Yeah, we extended him." They tried to slide one <laughs> in the Toronto market. Like it, it is a fascinating world. You understand why organizations try to protect a lot of that information when it comes to the coach. But that's why I think it's important every year to sort of do an update on that because. You know, um, those are some pretty big names and, and coming off some pretty big years, certainly in terms of Ruff and McClellan and Brindamore. So, you know, I have a feeling all three have a pretty good chance of being extended, but until it's done, you know, it's worth talking about. First podcast of the year, so we'll go backwards a little bit here. Just because Johnny uh, and Pierre, I want to get your guys' takes on the Stamkos scenario in Tampa Bay. He was quite vocal his frustration about there not being any negotiations on an extension for him uh, over the off season basically said, I made it clear I want to be here. And he was disappointed that there weren't any talks 
at all. He's been there a long time. They've been through some last-minute contentious negotiations in the past here. But, Johnny, when you heard Steven Stamkos say what he did publicly right as camp opened, what went through your mind? Well, that's unusual. You like you don't get that out of Stammer, right? Like that's not what he normally mm-hmm. does. But also, Steve Stamkos is old enough and has been around enough that like that wasn't by accident. Like he, he went to that press conference with the intention of getting that out there because I think he applies a little bit of pressure. Whatever that matters, it applies a little bit of pressure to people saying, "Hey, why aren't you talking to him? Maybe you should start talking to him." And maybe that spurs on a conversation. He clearly wants to stay. And we know that Tampa, whether it's Eiserman, uh, to be before, will squeeze players if they can. If they can, as they should. And they know he wants to stay there. They know he wants to commit the rest of his career there. Um, but again, like Brandon Hagel just got a $50 million deal. And Brandon Hagel's a good player. He's not Steve Stamkos. Like, if I'm Stammer, I'm like, hang on. Like, you signed him to fi- – like, I like Brandon Hagel. But you – like – He's worth eight years and fifty million. I'm not worth a conversation. What is going on here? So I get the frustration, but it seemed calculated to me. I anticipate it working out, but um, I mean, this is the way it is right now for teams. Like they, they got to squeeze, and if they have leverage on Ryan Rashad because he always wants to play for Tampa, doesn't want to go anywhere, they'll use it. And it looks like they're trying to use it on their captain. But to not even talk, Pierre, yeah. like to oh, not even crazy. get a sense for what he's looking for. Well, first of all, I, I, I don't know if it was calculated. I mean, MJ's probably right. He's been in, in those shoes as a player, so I'll take his word over mine any day with that. But my experience with Steven Stamkos, and it's why he's one of my favorite players to cover over all these years, is that he's so transparent. Ask a, ask a question, you'll get an answer. Ryan, you and I did that cup final at Tampa in Colorado. Remember that night after they got absolutely crushed? Oh, yeah. How, how open he was. I mean, he's just one of those guys that will will speak from his heart all the time. So I don't know. I Maybe someone asked him a question and he just unloaded. Um, but here's what I would say is that there are two things I want to say on this. One is that, and this is just me, uh, you know, I don't know this for a fact, but I bet you when Steven Stamkos saw the LA Kings very quietly take care of Anze Kopitar with a two-year extension one year ahead, those players are from the same era. Stamkos, Kopitar, both great captains, you know, both Stanley Cup winners. And he's like, okay, so he gets one and I don't. So that would be number one for me. Number two would be this. Even though this is something that no, not neither Stamkos nor the Lightning have ever talked about publicly, we, re- we reported on it, other media have as well at the time. It, it is an absolute fact that the Lightning went to him, I think it was after the bubble playoffs in twenty cap issues and and mm. asked the question about whether he would ever consider waiving and and the answer was clearly no and that was that and i think i give lightning credit i don't think they ever revisited it but back to my point about sometimes players remembering things you know i i, I can't help but think that deep down that was that probably hurt his feelings a bit and and so that happened you know three years ago and now he doesn't get extended this summer read into it what you will but, I mean, the organization will remember that happened too. This guy wants to go nowhere. He wants to be here, shown multiple times he wants to be here, that if push comes to shove, he's willing to stay here. You got a warm weather tax haven, Johnny, at a certain point. You've got muscle to flex in that situation if you're Tampa. You do. But you just, like, it's your captain. The guy who's given his body to your organization and is so entrenched there and everything else. He's led you to the Stanley Cups and everything. But and you so paid him you well. Want, 
well, not as much as he could have gotten elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's but not like you've overpaid him. Right, but and, that, and I think and I, I think mean, was he Ryan, taking... I think it's more about I think it's more about the not so much about the dollars for right now, but because if you look at go down the list, if it's Hedman or Cooch or Point or Sergachev or Sorelli or Hagel, Vasilev, like they all got extended a year out, a year before they were up. And he's like, okay, well, hang on. Like to not even go down the road. Like, so I understand. Let's say he's, I think Stammer's 33 now. So maybe you don't want to do eight years. Maybe he's like, we only want to do four or five. And Stammer coming off 185 points his last two years is worth on the open market $8 million. Like, well, listen, we're going to give you six because that's what we can afford. And that's the hometown discount. And that's the taxes and everything else. Okay. You can have that conversation. But the fact that you didn't have that conversation when you had it with literally half your roster, half your roster, you treated differently than you're treating me. I know I'm older, but I am the captain. And I did have a hundred points two years ago. I had to think at 80 something last year. Um, I I get the frustration because they're not treating him the same. They treated other players that are not as good as or as important as he is. Yeah, no, really well said, MJ. But for the sake of balance, I guess I should point out that the Lightning also let two key leaders walk away, and those were emotional losses. Julian Breeze mm-hmm. talked about this. And- Andres Palat two years ago and Alex Kalorin this past summer. And I can tell you that Alex Kalorin of these championship teams, for the outside world, not inside, everyone knows inside, but for the outside world, probably one of the most underrated leaders of that core. It was hard for them to lose Alex Kalorin. And I don't have my notes in front of him, but in front of me, but I think I, I wrote about it in my last piece on July 2nd, the Lightning made a crazy offer to Alex Killorn to try and convince him to stay like some, I think it was eight it was years. Like eight years, three, seven, five yeah. years or something. It was some exact, yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to make the total money work, even though the AV was low. And and it showed you how much they, they really didn't want to lose Killorn. They really didn't want to lose Palat the year before too. My point being, it's not fair to say that they've taken care of everyone else and not Stamkos because obviously they've lost Palat and Killorn in consecutive years. And at 33 Palat years of age. And Kalorn are not the captain or as good as Steven Stamkos. They're, they're no right. doubt good. And they no doubt didn't want to lose them. But like, that's the, like, if I'm Steve Stamkos and you come with me that, that Pierre, like, you're Breeze Boy, you're like, well, hang on. We lost Kalorn. I'm like, respectfully, respectfully. Right. He's is not, it fear like, of regression? About apples and oranges. Is it fear right. of regression, Johnny? Like he had a 20 some point of regression course. over two seasons and, and. I mean, how much? And again, the Kupitar and the Kupitar one would sting. I guarantee you, like you know, yeah. fellow captain, yeah, I same mean, era, went from you know. ten million down to seven. Kupitar, yeah, right, yeah. So I, I think the, the fear, if I was now flip it over, I'm running, I'm Julian Brisebois. Like, yeah, term would be a real concern. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. he, we know Stamkos takes mm-hmm. great pride in trying to be prepared, and him and Rob Gary Roberts are are intertwined at the hip, and and you know, have really rehabilitated his body. He can shoot. And so he's always going to be able to shoot. So that will age gracefully. Um, he's got good players around him. So that will help him as well. So, yeah, I'm not saying he gets $10 million. I'm just saying, I, yeah, a four-year deal for $25, $28 million. That seems about appropriate for, for Steve Samkos. And, and, that in, and that accounts for some perhaps dips as he gets a little bit older the next few years. But don't you have to have that conversation, Ryan? Like we, Before we talk about it, the fact that they haven't really spoken is – is as much the story yeah. as about what they might be yeah. talking about when they start to talk. And, and probably and what again, led to him being vocal. 
And, and this is a lot of lightning talk, but again, they've been the, arguably the best run franchise over the last decade. You may remember when Steven Stamkos dipped his toes in the UFA speaking period back in 2016. You know, spoke to Toronto, to Buffalo, to Montreal, to San Jose. And then Steven Stamkos slapped himself in the head and said, what am I doing? And, and re-signed in Tampa. About a week later, Victor Hedman signed his max deal. And I remember interviewing Hedman and, and Hedman saying, Steven Stamkos coming back to us, they're best friends, right? Those two guys are brothers for life. That was the final sort of push over the finish line for Hedman to sign one year out. That doesn't mean that Hedman wouldn't have signed ultimately or wouldn't have signed eventually. But I'll, I always remember saying, wow, those two guys are even closer than I thought. I mean, those are the two original, the two OGs, Hedman and Stamkos of that team. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my point is the other thing in all of this is that let's see what happens with Stamkos. But don't forget that Victor Hedman is, is very involved emotionally on this subject too, I would think. All right. Great stuff, guys. That was the breakdown brought to you by Kuma Outdoor Gear. Before we get to Taylor Hall, it was a great interview that we had with Taylor Hall. Um, I know you guys have missed it all summer and hoping that it would be here for episode one. Oh, it is red card, oh. yellow card, no card. The return of hockey's favorite game show on this podcast. Uh, we're going to go off grid. You know, sometimes we do hockey related ones and sometimes things are just too important. And only when it's the most important of topics do we get off the rails and get away from hockey and red card, yellow card, no card. Guys, I did a podcast with Jason Strudwick last week. And I asked him the question, when you are crossing a crosswalk and a car stops for you, do you always give the wave? And Strud's of overdrive fame, said definitely he gives the wave every time he gives the wave. But what he said he refuses to do is to increase his pace in any way. He does not speed up while he continues through the crosswalk. So he will do the courtesy of a thank you wave and nod and then continues to just mosey along at a standard pace. This is hard red card for me all day long. <laughs> He is adamant that it is not necessary. Gentlemen? I'm going to go yellow because I live in Toronto, and if I don't speed up my walk after a car lets me go, I might get hit. So <laughs> I'm, just going by, I'm just going by my my actual reality living in this crazy city. Yeah. We're driving, and this city has now become, I think, the worst in North America. Um you don't have a choice. You better speed up if you somehow squeak that through. So, yeah. And do you do the wave, Pierre? You wave as well? Do the wave. I pray Full to the wave. guy. I do everything. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. Know. Okay. <laughs> Johnny, I don't know which way you're going to go with this, bud. I could see you going either way. I'm interested right now. I'm I, okay. So, I'm going to assume if you're able-bodied and can walk faster or you don't have like a kid in tow or a dog and you're just walking, that's a hard red, Struddy. Hard red. You have to give the quick little expedited shuffle out of the way always with the thank you with the hand always because that's as much like hey you're stopping right here i am you're stopping but then the little jimmy shuffle to get out of the way the last eight feet of the car so that he can get going on his day absolutely if you're able to you should be polite respectful and accommodating red card strutty have some manners so that is two hard red cards and a yellow so far 
He's getting dominated. None of this matters, though. Our opinions mean squat. The real opinion that counts is the ultimate arbiter. And oh, yes. Oh, boy. Shores yes. from season two. Terry Ryan is back as the ultimate arbiter, and he weighs in on Struds. Ah, what is life but a series of unwritten social contracts? We have to respect each other and pay it forward. Even in a time like 2023, where much tension may appear to exist between different groups for different reasons, we still generally thrive on an assumed social respect for one another despite our varying opinions. Some examples, holding the door open for each other, saying excuse me when walking through a crowd, not bringing a teething infant into the latest Mission Impossible at the Cineplex, or simply helping an elderly person across the street at a crosswalk. If someone shows me courtesy, I show some back. Hold the door open for me, I say thank you. Coming through my row at a concert and say excuse me, I'll stand up and help clear the way for you. And of course, ten times out of ten, if you're nice enough to go out of your way and inconveniently slow down in your motorized vehicle just to do me a favor and save me time, by helping my safe journey across the busy, highly trafficked roadway, you can bet your bottom dollar I'd smile, return the courtesy, and pick up the pace with a wink and a nod in recognition of the social contract we share as humans. It's what separates us from the animals. An able-bodied former pro athlete like Jason Strudwick should know the difference. Red card, final answer. Boom! The ultimate <laughs> yeah. arbiter, Terry Ryan, dropping the hammer in episode one of season two. That was definitive, boys. Definitive. That was tremendous. That guy is an orator <laughs> exception now. I'll oh, tell you what. Goodness. I could listen to that guy talk all day. I know. Well done. The, the, the intelligence, Beauty. the accent, it, it's all amazing. That is yeah. the ultimate arbiter. Okay, Johnny, we're going to let you go. Fantastic job. Great to have you back. And for the rest of you, enjoy. Courtesy Kuma Outdoor Gear, Pierre and I in conversation with Chicago Blackhawks forward, Taylor Hall. From his new apartment in Chicago, which he is now calling home, uh, Taylor Hall joining us. Taylor, uh, after a few years in Boston, classic U.S. city, uh, you're making the shift over to Chicago right now, another classic U.S. city. What are your, uh, what are your early impressions? I love it here. Um, it's always been my answer when people ask me what my favorite road city was. Um, I've always loved coming here. I've loved hearing the anthem, you know, during the games, and for whatever reason, I always played well here. So, it's been um, it's been a welcome change for me um, and my wife. We're we're expecting here in a couple of weeks, so um, we're bringing in a little one to the family that's going to be a Chicago-born baby. So, we're excited. Um, it's been a great city so far. Everyone says Chicago in the summer is amazing, and um, I'd have to agree. Man. It's, uh... We are so many years from that draft floor where you yeah. probably don't even remember. I was interviewing you and Tyler Sagan, and I, I called you Tyler and him Taylor. Do you remember that? I do remember <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. That feels nice like job, forever Ryan. ago. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Me being right on the ball as always. Now you got a baby on the way, Taylor. That's, I mean, you've seen lots of teammates go through it. Your friends have gone through it. What are you expecting, man? I'm um, expecting to be you know, in a bit of a daze, you know, for the first few days. And um, I think it's going to be a lot. It's going to be an adjustment, obviously, that our due date is is right as the season's about to start. And we we go on a five game, two week road trip right off the right off the bat. So 
I hope to uh, to get a little bit of FaceTime with the with the baby to start, and then I'm going to be on the road. So we have lots of help coming. Um, we're both super excited, and I guess you know the everyone says you don't really know what what you're what you're in for, and so I haven't read any books, I haven't looked at any videos. I'm just going into <laughs> it wide eyed, and, and hopefully everything goes well, and which I'm sure it will. I can guarantee you, there's nothing more amazing uh, uh, that you yeah. can ever go through in your life. So congrats. Um, you know, I, I go back to a conversation that you and I had in Toronto last year, a couple of weeks before the trade deadline. Taylor, you, you guys were in town, and I was writing a piece on on the, the deadline, guys who had gone through it. And our conversation was that that your you know your <laughs> your mind was at peace that uh, that uh, you knew that you weren't in play at that deadline. But of course, three months later, you're traded in the off season. I mean, were you, were you taken off guard, or did you look at the cap situation for Boston and say, okay? I've been around. I know the business. I know it's possible. Yeah, it's, I said to my wife at the start of the summer, I said, if there's any summer where I wouldn't be, you know, shocked that I got traded, it's probably this summer. But that doesn't change the fact that you're always, you know, pretty surprised when you do get that phone call. Um, I just, I don't know. I know how good of a player I can be. Um, so I'm always, you know, I, I am a little surprised when you get that call that a team is going to trade you and, and they're going to leave their cap issues by moving you. But like you said, that's the business. And I think I've ended up in a pretty good spot, all things considered. And, um, you know, that's, I would have loved, you know, if, if at the start of my career, I would have probably wanted to play on one team my whole career, but now that I've been around, I think I've gained some, you know, some really good life experiences. I've played in some amazing cities, and this is uh, another chapter that um, I'm really excited for. What do you take out of your time in Boston, where you had exposure to some of this generation's um, best leaders, quite frankly, and Patrice Bergeron and, and the group that they have there? What do you think you most take with you out of your experience in Boston? I learned from some great people, um, some super successful hockey players. And, um, you know, I, I think that my overall game is, is a lot better than when I came into Boston. You know, just from a pure hockey standpoint, there's, there's not a lot of cheating on the ice. There's, um, you know, everyone has this, you know, we know the system, everyone plays it. Um, you're not going to, you know, like I said, you're not going to cheat the game. And I think that's that's one of the biggest things. And then just from a an organizational standpoint to see what kind of organization they are and why they win so much and why they win year after year. And they're able to um, to turn guys over and to draft well and, and do all those things. That was pretty cool to see that from the inside. Um, I have nothing but good things to say about the coaching staff there, you know, the trainers, the equipment guys, and obviously the players. Um, that was, that's the worst part when you get traded, especially when you're on a team that's close, that has a lot of fun together, you know, that's what you're going to miss. And, and now that training camp started, I'm kind of like, man, how are those guys doing? What are they joking about? All <laughs> that stuff. So it's, it's hard, but, um, you know, I, I guess the easiest way to put it is that's, that's the business. You know, I, I can't think of a guy, honest to goodness, Taylor, that is better fit on and off the ice to help this young Chicago team, uh, you know, really rebuilding from the ground up here because of your journey in the NHL. And you think about, 
you know, the young Oilers from when you were drafted and trying to get over that hump and it was difficult. And and then you went to New Jersey when they were rebuilding and, and that heart trophy season that you had playing with a young Nico Heischer, uh, even the half season in Buffalo. And again, there is a young team trying to like, you've seen a lot of things in your career. And I wonder how you're going to try to import that to, to your young teammates in Chicago. Yeah, I've seen it all. I mean, you know, even I played with Jack Hughes for half a season. I played with, right. you know, Yakupov and Nuge. And I had Connor McDavid living with me when when he was playing his first year in Edmonton. So I've seen a lot. Um, you know, that's a question that comes up. Like, you know, what kind of conversations are you going to have with Connor? And like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to sit him down and be like, hey, this is how you, <laughs> this is what I've seen. This is how you got to do things. But I think it just happens organically. And and at the end of the day, you have to lead by example, right? You have to lead in the weight room, you have to lead on the ice, and you have to lead with how you carry yourself and how you treat, you know, the staff around the arena, all that stuff. I think that's the best way to lead, and um, that's what I take. You know, I, I played with some really good guys over the course of my career. I think back to to Sean Horkoff and Alish Hemsky. These guys, you know, Ryan Whitney even. I know he's, he's doing his whole, you know, podcast, but <laughs> these guys were good guys, and I think, you learn a lot. You're at a very formative age where, you know, you don't want to be overcoached and you don't want to be like told what to do all the time. But I think you learn the most by just by, uh, by watching guys. And, and that's what I'm trying to do. Like during this training camp, I'm just trying to be the, the best player I can on the ice. And through the course of the season, you know, if those conversations come up, you know, if I'm, if I'm with Connor, or I'm with, you know, Lucas Reichel, whatever it is, and they ask questions. I got lots to say, but I think the biggest thing is to lead by example. Taylor, it's a, I don't know if meat grinder is the right way to put it, but being a potential number one overall pick from Canada in Canada, that's a gauntlet that uh, only a few ever have to run. You have run it and you've watched other guys run it. You just mentioned a few of them. What have you seen in Connor Bedard as he has run this gauntlet over the last couple of seasons, and now you get next to him and learn a li- little bit more about him. What do you take away from what you saw then and what you're experiencing now? I think um, I think for me it was a little different. There wasn't Instagram and Twitter and all that, right. you know, those quick highlights that you get to your phone, um, you know, in a matter of seconds like you, like you have now. But there was a lot of pressure. Um, you know, there, there just was. And I think for him, he's coming in with different expectations than I had. I don't think anyone was expecting, you know, an 80 point, 70 point season from me, my first year, that would have been great, but I don't think people were expecting that. There's, there's a lot of expectations on him. And I think he, I think he feels that. And I think he wants to live up to that. But I, I also see a guy that just loves hockey. And I think this is something that he was kind of, I don't, you know, want to put words in his mouth or anything, but it's kind of, he seems like he was born for it. He seems like a guy that doesn't shy away from the spotlight. He wants it. Um, And he wants to be the best player on the ice. And he wants to surround himself with, you know, that's why he goes and trains with McDavid in the summer. He, you know, spends time at the Biosteel camp with Crosby. He wants to be one of these guys and he wants to be mentioned in that category. And I think watching him for the first few days of camp, he's got the game to do it. So, um, I think, that, you know, we're all excited to support him in, in that journey. He's an amazing player and, uh, 
just the way he carries himself. I've, I think we've all been really impressed with just not only like how nice he is and, and all that, but there's a quiet confidence to him that I think um, is a real asset to, to what he brings. You know, I, I chatted with him briefly at the player tour recently, uh, Taylor, and I, I was reminding him that he was, he was uh, four and a half years old when Sidney Crosby scored the golden goal at the Vancouver Olympics. So <laughs> you can imagine all that makes me feel old. But, I mean, you know, the way that you take care of your body, the way you play, I, I think you got so much hockey left in you. But you also must feel when you're playing on a line with him right now that, that it just must be kind of crazy for you in terms of the age difference and, and how time flies. I mean, what's that like for you? It's weird um, to see a guy at training camp with you and you're going to play the season with that's born in 2005. It's like, it's nuts, <laughs> honestly. Um, and I don't feel like I'm 31, but I, I, I don't feel like 31. Like I don't feel like there's a massive age difference when I'm talking to him, like mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it, it is different. Um, I do want to play for a very long time. I, I don't think I'm anywhere close to being done. But when you start seeing 2005 pop up on on their on their hockey <laughs> DB, it's uh, it does make you make you kind of wonder like maybe maybe I don't have as long as as I think I have left. Taylor, I recall in the locker room one day you came up to me. I had tweeted something during a game. I think I used like an advanced stat or an analytic or something, and I tweeted it. And you didn't like it. You disagreed with the premise that I had put out there. And I remember, I think it might have been the next day, you walked right up to me in the locker room and you were like, hey, I saw that tweet with that advanced stat. And you challenged me on it. And like you pushed me on my logic. You were friendly about it. And we added a little back and forth. And it was all good. What I'm driving at here is, I'm not sure if people realize how closely you follow the game and how closely you pay attention to a lot of details about this game. At least you did back then. Uh, do you still do that? And what sort of areas do you look into uh, for yourself even where you're, where you're diving beneath the surface? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely aware of all that stuff. And it's, it's interesting how, you know, the analytics side of hockey has went from like in 2014, it was like Corsi and so just shot attempts. And now it's like, you know, expected goals and then like, GAR and like a lot of stuff that is is kind of hard to understand mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest and I think as a player like I I probably like I, I I just wanted to be informed and I wanted to know what all this stuff was but I think as a player there's a certain point where you can know too much and you can you know kind of like there there's a lot of context in hockey that needs to be included in in all those things and the longer you play i think you know ignorance is bliss a lot of times and sometimes it's better to just watch your shifts you know see what you're doing make a couple adjustments and go from there because if you start trying to factor in all this information it just becomes a little bit overwhelming so i think as my career's gone on i've tried to just just say, hey, you know, that wasn't a great game. Um, let's move on from that. And then the opposite, like you're never as good as you think either. But when you have all this information that's out there now, it can be a bit overwhelming, I think. Are you going easier on the reporters nowadays? Or 
<laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I don't. No. I don't. Even, hey. you know what? I I don't remember that, but it sounds like something I would have done. You know, eight nine years ago, for it sure. wasn't cocky or arrogant. You challenged me, and we had a good, respectful conversation about it. It always stood out to me that you you just walked right up to me and were like, "Hey, man, let's talk about this." Yeah, no, right. I, I I definitely would have done that. I I I'd love to know, you know, what the what the analytic was, or you know, what it was saying, and and all that. I kind think of stuff. I tweeted somebody's Corsi in game, like after two periods. Here's what they're shot at, oh. or something like that. Right. You, yeah. Yeah. You didn't like it. You got all up in my face about it. It, it was good. Yeah. Like I said, it was a good conversation. That would be something that need would need context because, like, if they just started every <laughs> shift in their own end, or like, yes, you know, their right. D partner was just throwing yes. pieces and everywhere. I think, like, I think you said all that to me too. You, you're saying all this to me for the second time now. <laughs> and, and, it's just and, funny and, because in Edmonton, like you, you know, people like yourself have a big voice, and like. That's I, I I'm guessing that's where I was coming from was like, you know, people you can you can put out information and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, but I, whatever you know that's uh, it's water under the bridge. Oh yeah, 100%. You, you, you know what yeah. I mean, Taylor. I mean, you just made a mistake. You just gave Ryan a clip of you saying he's got a big voice in Edmonton, and I was going to play that as a promo to yep. his podcast for the entire year. Absolutely 100%. brutal that. That you fed his ego. It's going. If anything, a guy like me, I, I should apologize to you. I and mean, I, I remember when I, I was texting you uh, in the middle of the trade getting done to Buffalo, and that's the tough part of the biz- of this business, right? I mean, here you are in a real, you know, emotional moment in your career, and you got guys like me, you know, coming at you looking for info. So I mean, listen again, I, I you were good about it, but but uh, um, that's. You know, that, that's part of this whole thing that, you know, we're covering you, we're covering the game, we're covering the news. And it's it's important, I think, for all of us to remember what it's like in the moment for guys like you. I mean, that was that was a tough moment right there. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's there's been a few over the years where it's like, man, I can't believe I'm in this situation. But um, that's that's hockey and that's sports, really. It's it's such a business when you really start to get older and, and think about it. But I'm having a blast. You know, I really am. I, I, as, as I'm on, like, I guess you would say the back nine of your career of my career, mm-hmm. um, you, you appreciate it a lot more. And, and I still have a ton of fun playing the game. Like just when you're in a game, like I really do have fun playing, which is, which is what you want to, what you want to have at this point. Absolutely. You, you've, you've always had that, that mind though, of talking about the game. You're, you're always aware of, of what's going on on other teams in terms of, it reminds me a lot of, of Sidney Crosby in terms of not living in your silo, but being interested in the business of the game. You've always hit me that way. And are we hearing from a future GM one day? Maybe have you thought about in 15 years, maybe what would interest you or is that just too far down the road? I don't know. Those guys work so much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, do. I don't know. The senior advisor. You got to go for one of the senior advisor I roles. Think, I think you're right there. I think those yeah. like those advisor roles where sweet you just, spot. where you show up to Florida, you show up to the meetings in Florida or the scouting <laughs> meeting. Like I think I don't know. I I, I, I just want to see what um what being a parent is all about and then hmm. go from there. But I mean, I love hockey, and I don't. I don't think I'm qualified to work in really any other profession. But I don't. I don't know if I, I'm going to want to be, you know, at the rink eight months a year. I, I don't know. But 
mm-hmm. and not not to take anything away those guys i'm just saying those guys work so hard they really do you have to at that job you could always go for the middle ground and find yourself a cushy media gig because we don't work that hard <laughs> and you know you're qualified for that too i would say <laughs> yeah I, may i guess maybe i got some friends that are starting to transition into that yeah Gazdick's doing a bunch of that stuff. Hey, he's exactly. done a good job. Was, yeah, exactly. I was texting with Luke yesterday, and we were just saying he's like, you know, I think it's a better option for me than the, you know, maybe the pro assistant coach job that I might may or may not get, or you know, whatever. So, but that's that's exciting, you know, when you don't really know what's in store for you, and you just want to take it kind of year by year. You got lots of hockey left in you, though, I'm sensing. Uh, Taylor, before we let you go here, the name of the podcast is Got Your Back, and we always ask our guests if they have a story about a time in their life where somebody came through for you. Somebody had your back at some point. So if I fire that question at Taylor Hall, what's the answer? Um, so th- my answer, I, I had I told this story to someone the other day at the Hawks facility because they brought his name up, but... Um, in Kingston and in Belleville, ball, ball hockey is pretty big, and we played a lot of ball hockey in the summer, and I would go play with other 91s, and Andrew Shaw was on my team. And we were playing an older team from Belleville, and his brother happened to be on the team. And they were older guys, so they weren't wearing full cages like we were. And I took a slap shot or a one-timer, and my stick came up, and I knocked out a couple of his brother's to- teeth. Oh. And... After the game, his brother comes running into our dressing room to try and take me out, throw a couple punches. Andrew Shaw gets up and fights his own brother for me because I was on his team. Oh, my goodness. Come on. I remember that because I told that story to someone the other day, and that was kind of like when I knew I'd have to answer that question, That's that was the first thing that came to mind. It was always, It's always funny when I look back at that time. You must have been sitting there with your mouth, your jaw just dropped. Like, what is happening? It, it was funny. And and Andrew Shaw's dad was our coach, too. So, and like, the mom was in the crowd. Like, it was it was pretty funny. And if you know Andrew, he's, you know, he was a competitor. And I'm sure he still is. Um, but So who yeah, won the fight? Funny. Did he knock out any more of his teeth? I, I think it was like a more of a wrestling like they just wrestled each other down but crazy yeah they, i and i remember you know saying to the mom like i'm really sorry she's like don't worry we got dental insurance and i was like okay <laughs> it sounds good <laughs> that's awesome that's a great that's story canadian Taylor. that's as canadian a hockey story oh, yeah. uh, as there is right there let me tell you 100 <laughs> yeah. 100 yeah. well taylor listen thanks for taking the time that you did um, congratulations on, uh, with you and your wife expecting your first best of luck and uh, best of luck this season. Really good to catch up with you. All right. Thanks guys. And a big thanks to Taylor Hall for joining us. One of the best got your back stories we have had so far here on the podcast. Huge thanks to our sponsors, Kuma Outdoor Gear, and to you for your downloads and your subscriptions. We're off and running here in season two of Got Your Back NHL Edition. LeBron, Rashog, and MJ. Uh, Leave us a review on iTunes if you get a couple of minutes. We'd love to hear what you have to say about the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll check in next week. Cheers. Cheers.